read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome back to News and Views. I'm Rob Schofield. It's been several years since North Carolina lawmakers enacted and then were forced by public opinion to repeal HB2, the infamous bathroom bill. Unfortunately, some lessons have to be learned over and over, and as has been made plain repeatedly at the legislative building, conservative state lawmakers remain wedded to a strategy of demonizing LGBTQ people and limiting their rights. And recently I caught up with my colleague, NC Newsline investigative reporter Joe Killian, to review some of the controversies and legislation he documented in this field in 2023. Joe Killian, welcome back to News and Views. Thanks for having me. So obviously 2023 was a big and momentous year for issues impacting LGBTQ people and in particular transgender people. After so much progress in so many circles, sort of a strong and troubling negative backlash really in many parts of the United States, including here in North Carolina. Maybe we could walk through some of what we experienced here. Yeah, well, you know, last year there was this wave of anti-LGBTQ and specifically anti-transgender legislation across the country. And North Carolina, although there were some bills that were introduced, it was largely spared because legislative leaders who were Republican sort of correctly identified that the governor, Roy Cooper, would veto those bills and that Democrats at that time would have been able to sustain those vetoes and they'd look bad losing. This year, that math has changed and Democrats can no longer really sustain that veto. And as a result of that, pretty much all of the bills that were filed last year, including bans on health care for transgender youth and bans on transgender youth participating in sports that match their gender identity, passed a bill that, you know, sort of bans the mention in certain grades of LGBTQ people and LGBTQ culture and books, all went ahead and passed, making North Carolina part of this sort of wave of conservative states that have put these things in place. And so over the course of the year, we, you know, followed that legislation, but we also talked to the people it actually affects, to doctors. We also sort of fact-checked some of the stuff that was out there. I remember being at the General Assembly during the discussion over the trans sports ban, and they brought in this woman, Riley Gaines, who is a collegiate swimmer and has been crisscrossing the country in different legislative sessions in different states talking about how transgender women, who she just calls biological men, have dominated her sport. And then if you actually look at, as we reported, and I think too few people are reporting, if you actually look not only at her situation and who she was up against and whether that person is dominating the sport, you will find just how many women, and by that I mean cisgender women, hold records that that person is nowhere near breaking and that in the very competitions that she was talking about, there were all sorts of records broken all by cisgender women. So, you know, there's something of a canard to say that, uh, you know, that you personally have experienced, you know, the dominance of transgender women in your sport, when in fact, there are lots and lots of cisgender women that you could not defeat. And even if you defeated that transgender woman, you still would not be able to defeat. It's a case, it seems, of sort of anecdotes producing new laws that are going to affect a lot of people. Maybe not that many people, actually. We know there probably aren't that many transgender girls who wanted to play sports in, say, high school and college in North Carolina, but this law would say they can't, although I, I suppose litigation remains possible. Yeah, you know, and in fact, in the, with the transgender health care ban, there was a federal lawsuit. And what you're looking at really in both cases is pretty much every 
major medical and psychological associations, long list of all the most respected of these associations saying, we have science on this stuff, and it goes back decades, and this, these things are not experimental. And you have GOP legislators who are saying, it's experimental, it's like lobotomies, it's like forced sterilization. We don't know anything about how, you know, and, and them pointing to actual studies and going, well, no, actually. And adults who are coming to them and saying, well, I transitioned 20 years ago, here's my story. You know, that just not prevailing. We make so much in North Carolina of the notion, conservatives do anyway, of the importance of parental rights, the importance of parents being able to control their children. And yet we have this situation where a child, their parents, their healthcare providers are all united, unanimous that this child needs, or this young person needs to go through a gender transition. And yet the state of North Carolina would now forbid that. And I presume want to jail those who say that they want to help those people, right? Yeah. A young transgender man who's a high school student said pretty eloquently to us in a story, Alex Lansbury, he said, you know, we hear all of this stuff about parental rights and how, you know, the parents need to have the final say on these sorts of things. That's true if you're opposed to it. If like his parents, you're supportive and your doctors are supportive and your, you know, therapist is supportive and you go through all of the things that you're supposed to go through. And then at the end, the government says, no, actually, we need to make that decision. We need to take it out of the hands of your parents and your doctors. It's the old thing of making the government just small enough to get into your house, into your doctor's office with you, into the exam room. We're talking with NC Newsline investigative reporter Joe Killian about the year that was in LGBTQ rights in North Carolina. And speaking of this issue of transgender care, banning transgender affirming care for people, as we said, there has been some successful litigation in some places. It remains rather up in the air whether these laws are enforceable and whether they will remain in place. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. You know, in North Carolina, it's early days yet, and other states have been successful in blocking these laws or getting them overturned, or at least on the way to higher court rulings. Of course, with the conservative majority on the Supreme Court, there's nervousness about what may happen if it gets there. But it's a really interesting situation because, you know, it's not just transgender people and their parents or their families who are parts of these lawsuits. It's also doctors. There are doctors in North Carolina who have been doing this kind of work with patients for years or decades, and they're now being told, you don't know what you're doing. And in fact, if you continue to do this sort of work, you'll be investigated. You'll maybe maybe lose your medical license. And what they're saying is almost all of these procedures are not just things we do with transgender people. Hormone transition, for instance, is something that a lot of cisgender people end up benefiting from. People who are experiencing menopause or perimenopause, or if you are a cisgender man, you know, low testosterone or other hormonal imbalances. But what they're saying is it is only a category of medicine that we don't believe in when we are dealing with transgender people, particularly transgender young people. And what the doctors are saying is, you know, that's the definition of discrimination. You're saying this, you know, for humans, this medical treatment is fine, except for this category of humans, which we're going to center on. It's very disturbing to doctors who have the training and the experience and actually work with transgender people and know what that is like to hear from people who have none of those things. And in some cases are wildly misstating the science on, on some of this stuff, then that becomes law. Another bill that, and we'll talk about this also with our education reporter, Greg Childress, was the so-called Parents' Bill of Rights and whether kids who may identify as a different gender in school should be immediately outed to their parents by the school personnel. They're having trouble implementing this new law. It's very confusing as to how to make it work, but this obviously presents problems in some circumstances where kids may be 
estranged from their parents. Oh, and I'm just estranged from their parents, but I mean, I'm 41 years old. When I was in college, I was part of a group of people who put together my high school's first straight gay alliance, which now sounds quaint. And at the time, there was some opposition to that. But in the place where I lived, in the time that it was, the administration was on the side of, yeah, these people ought to be able to meet and talk like any other student group, and that would be fine. In North Carolina today, that would be controversial, and in some school districts, forbidden. So that's where we're at, is things were better 20-something years ago for people who are LGBTQ than they are today in in North Carolina. You know, we were talking about how many people would be affected by that sports ban. It's sort of the same thing with this bill. There's the number of people, and then there's the climate it creates. If you're creating a climate wherein teachers feel as though if they know that a student is questioning their sexuality or their gender identification, or if they hear the names or nicknames that the student goes by at school, or if they are dressing in a way that is not does not conform in the way that their parents think they should to their gender identity, that then they have to be deputized into outing them to their parents. That's a very dangerous climate, not just for LGBTQ people, but you're sort of drafting educators at the threat of being fired into your political beliefs and your political campaign. And that's a very dangerous way to operate. I mean, when when I was a young person, when I was in high school, you know, I knew students who were lesbian, who were transgender, who were gay, who were bisexual. And these were not conversations that they were having with their parents because their parents were very religious Catholics in my area. And it was just conversations that they weren't ready to have yet. Now, they had those conversations with their parents later when they were in college, when they were in their 20s. But had teachers been required to out them in that period, that could have gone disastrously for them. And in many cases, it does go disastrously. I've spoken with people who are part of, you know, youth shelters who say that the number of LGBTQ kids were getting kicked out of their homes is a huge part of who they're servicing, who they're providing, you know, shelter for. And in that environment, more and more people, you know, being outed and being outed by their own teachers, their own counselors, their own coaches to their parents, perhaps before they're ready, is going to be, you know, potentially very dangerous. To say nothing of, you've then got to think about when someone who is that age is dealing with their own identity and what they want to tell people, be there, be it their friends or their teachers or their family. That's a very personal decision. You know, my sister, I come from a family full of LGBTQ people, but my sister still felt a little uncomfortable with coming out to us as a lesbian when she was younger, not because she thought my parents would shame her. They both have siblings who are LGBTQ who are accepted. It's just a personal thing that you might not want to get into yet with people and, you know, throwing people into the situation where they have to have those conversations with whomever before they're ready is a a very invasive thing and a strange thing for a party that is purports to be about privacy and small government and individual rights. We're coming to the end of our time with Joe Killian, NC Newsline investigative reporter. Joe, were there a lot of bad news on the front of LGBTQ rights in 2023. I guess maybe one little inkling of positive news was the expansion of Medicaid. Maybe that will provide some additional access to health care for some people, maybe even mental health care for some people who, who really desperately needed it and been denied. Yeah, there were a few bright spots this year. I mean, as you say, you know, as of this month, as of December, when we're recording, there's, you know, Medicaid expansion in North Carolina, and that's going to, that is going to provide some people who can't afford it with some mental health care. We wrote a whole story in collaboration with QNOS Carolinas about 
getting people PrEP, which is an anti-HIV, anti-AIDS game changer. And that should be a very good thing. Now, there are access, there's still problems with access in terms of everybody understanding and properly doing this. But, you know, and another thing that I think is very interesting is we saw the human rights campaign, the LGBTQ advocacy group, national group, put out a study that showed that, you know, they rank sort of individual towns and cities and states as to their, you know, quality index. And we saw a number of North Carolina cities not only score very well, but score better than they had, meaning that North Carolina individual towns and cities are more accepting and welcoming places for LGBTQ people than state law would have you believe. Um, even, even some smaller, you know, places. It's not just Charlotte. It's not just Durham. It's not just Raleigh. My hometown of Greensboro got a perfect score, you know, as some other cities. And so, you know, I think that that is, that is very interesting. And also we saw a number of studies, a couple of them this year show that the number, the percentage of people who are identifying as LGBTQ in various ways continues to go up into the double digits for some younger people. And that, is an indication that those people feel more comfortable coming out, feel more comfortable talking about their gender identity and their sexuality, which is which is good. That seems like a happy note to end things on, I'm somewhat encouraging, and we'll just have to look forward to 2024. Maybe some of this uh, backlash losing some of its uh, some of its steam, and we know that you'll be uh, reporting on it throughout the year. So we'll uh, look forward to uh, talking more about this in the new year. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for this edition of News and Views. Remember, you can check us out online and subscribe for free to some of our state's best news coverage and political commentary at ncnewsline.com. You can also listen to all of our interviews and commentaries wherever you get your podcasts. For producer Clayton Henkel, this is Rob Schofield. Happy New Year, and thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to News and Views, a weekly look at state news, events, and public policy debates produced by North Carolina Newsline. Visit them online at ncnewsline.com.